Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild. I'm a Strength Guild powerlifter, sometimes Highland Games athlete, and I'm heading up the NOV meet. We get our field today, so we're going to go walk it and mark out the Highland Games, so it should be fun. Nice. This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, faculty member of the Kerrigan Institute, online instructor, flex dietser, creator, and currently in Costa Rica, starting next five days of some continuing ed here at uh, Dr. Ben House's place. Did two talks uh, last week, and yeah, it's been good. Awesome. I am Aaron George, co-founder and owner of Throwbros, Throwbros.com, a professional Highland Games athlete, and my day job is, is peddling beer. I'm a beer man. A beer man. There's nothing wrong with that. Nice. Hey, yeah. Absolutely nothing. <sighs> kind of goes together, I think. Yeah. Games yeah. And beer. <laughs> if we all get quarantined, we're going to Aaron's house. He's got we plenty got of beer. I have a bidet, too. I don't need any of that toilet paper. We uh, <laughs> Nice. Yeah. It's, we installed it a couple weeks ago in, in anticipation, so we're, we're ready to go. <laughs> nice. <sighs> Okay, um, I only have one little bit of news, and then um, Phil will just uh, take the helm and do some interviewing and stuff like that. This is just timely. Strength and muscle sport news. Uh, this is from the Institute of Food Technologists. 30% of U.S. consumers will forego eating out because of COVID-19. So um, it says... Uh, Technomic conducted research with 1,000 U.S. consumers between February 28th and March 2nd to understand their behaviors, attitudes, and possible reactions to a more widespread outbreak of the coronavirus. Uh, let's see. They produced a white paper, uh, Technomics Take COVID-19, the food service view. It focuses on consumer implications. Um there's a quote here. It says, we are still in the very early stages, wrote Joseph Pollack, managing principal at Technomic, uh, in his white paper. Uh, the food industry could experience significant challenges given the strong human element inherent to both preparing meals and the act of just dining outside the home. And that's something that I've encountered. My wife and I went to a, a brewery last night and, uh, in Ohio. I don't know how... It's reinforced or widespread it is, but I think we're supposed to have no more than 100 people uh, in a gathering kind of thing. 
But then when we walked in the in the basically the restaurant area, there was a sign that said short staffed. So it's not just the people, the customers that could spread this around in large groups, but the staff, you know, the staff, somebody gets sick. They're just short, short staffed. So uh, I, I'm just curious about what listeners I mean, send an email if you're interested, in everybody. You know, are you going to eat at home? Are you just going to hole up and, you know, um, last week I was talking a little bit about gyms, too. I mean, you know, I've got some basic lifting equipment in my basement. I don't want to sound hysterical. I, I'm not going to stop going to the gym, but, uh, you know, I always Purell when I walk out of there and stuff. So that's probably a good idea. Anyway, it's one of those things where I imagine, Phil, your gym is probably a little bit safer than like the big box gyms where you just have random bozos walk in there you know, coughing into their hands and doing God knows yeah. what, you know. We don't allow scum in my gym, so we're safe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're good. Everybody's asked me, are you guys going to be open? Yeah, we're going to be open. Um, and, like, next week it sounds like I'm going to be flooded because the school's just closed. So all the parents are like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Oh, I'm like, wow. send them in here. We'll get them strong. <laughs> I'll mess with them. I'll wear them out. So, yeah, you know, you, you so you mentioned the, um, you know, some of the implications going on with people going out to eat, going to restaurants, breweries and stuff like that. So that, uh, you know, we're really seeing that start to impact my end of what I do actually like professionally. I joke, I'm a beer man, but I do, uh, forecast and forecasting and logistics for, you know, 52 different breweries and suppliers. And we're all over communications right now about, uh, you know, switching focus from, on-premise where it's you know primarily draft to off-premise in this anticipation that people are just they're going bananas particularly this weekend it's going to be insane but um like this uh, supply chain it takes a while for this to happen we can't just snap our fingers and, and change these forecasts these beers take you know four to six weeks to make so mm. we're uh at least in, in the beer world we are anticipating uh, a sharp decline in on-premise bars restaurants breweries consumption it'll shift to uh purchasing at grocery stores and big packaged liquor for for home consumption yeah i was gonna say they're not gonna stop drinking they're just gonna yeah, stop no, yeah. where, where they're drinking so that's the good yeah, thing for you guys shift. yeah <laughs> you know there's actually an element of hysteria uh i was watching some other podcasts on youtube and whatnot and apparently it's one of their no no words we're not supposed to even put like tags like covid19 or coronavirus and hopefully they won't listen to this and pick up you know how youtube will even they'll scan the audio um yeah, and it's right. just our backup but um we're not being irrational here we're just discussing it calmly so hopefully they won't <laughs> take down our our video everyone is calm right yeah. calm. stay calm and go buy all the beer so right. forget the toilet paper if you drink enough beer you don't even need toilet paper it just flows out <laughs> <laughs> you can drip dry nice. <laughs> oh man yeah, yep. so that's it. Craziness, craziness of life. So, all right, let's get into Aaron's story. Um, not the beer, but athletics. So, what got you into athletics in the first place? And not even Highland Games, but just whatever your first stint is was into athletics. Yeah, the uh, I, so you know back when I was a little kid growing up, um, spent I actually was was born in uh, Colorado and then raised in Texas. And I still spent my summers in Colorado. My dad was a um, just diehard baseball fan, baseball player. So he got me, like anyone else, you know, little kid growing up, six, seven, eight, nine, playing playing little league. Mm-hmm. Um, so I 
did that, you know, going into like my school athletic career, it really, it it doesn't exist. (laughs) I think I, uh, I played the tail end of uh, football season, my, in middle school, eighth grade, went into high school, um, my freshman year, uh, made, I think it was made, it was either my freshman or sophomore year, made JV and then made varsity. But I actually never played a game because I just destroyed my uh, my left knee. I was a cornerback because I was fast, and, and we had a big, big boy running back come through the middle. And we kind of met, and we just fell sideways, and that was the end of my uh, – the use of my left knee a hundred percent. So after that kind of um, really didn't pursue many athletics at all, you know, into my twenties, I, I discovered the gym, uh, like a bunch of us, uh, you know, wild and crazy kids. And I did the, the t-shirt muscles, you know, chest, thighs, you know, begrudgingly I do legs, you know, mm-hmm. a month, you know, once a month maybe, but I'd, I'd find an excuse to do, you know, chest and arms more. <laughs> More often than not, but you know, it 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 served a purpose. You know, in, in my twenties, I had, you know, I had a full six pack. I was skinny, low body fat, and in the alcohol industry, so it wasn't, it wasn't the worst thing I could have done. <laughs> it, it, it turned out all right, but um, so from there, um, kind of tying into the other co-owner of of Thrill Rose, Mike Beach. So he and I have been best friends for for over two decades now, and. We went to high school together. He played baseball, and then um, I moved to the Carolinas after after high school, and he stayed in he stayed in Texas. He actually became a really good fencer. He was he was fencing at a, a very high level, which is pretty awesome. It's such a a random uh, random sport, but he got really good at it. He has uh, excellent hand eye coordination, and somehow from fencing and and you know if anyone's ever seen Mike Beach, this this next thing is silly but he got into powerlifting. So, <laughs> so like Mike and really me too. I'm, I'm not a strong person whatsoever, but you know, thinking Mike Beach's name synonymous with powerlifting is, yeah. is a good chuckle. But so somehow he got me involved. We did, uh, I've only done one meet. I did a meet in Kentucky. I think I weighed in at like 225, 226. And, um, it was, I came at first in like the, the open novice, right. They have, a. I, I found out that day they have a million different classes. They're handing out a whole bunch of different stuff. So, um, we, I, it was fun, but it was, it was nice to, to train for something to be competitive. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that kind of opened my eyes up to that from powerlifting. Mike got involved with Highland games and he got pretty good, pretty quick. I think he was, you know, a B maybe for less than a full season. I think he, he hit the marks and jumped up to the A class pretty quick. Um, there was a Greenville, South Carolina, where I live. There's a really big festival on Furman University. And he uh, he gave me a call and said, hey, man, there's there's a great Highland Games happening, you know, where you live. I'm going to come down there, and I think you should throw at it. And, you know, I got excited, um, kind of dug in a little bit to what the Highland Games were, talked to him about some training and stuff, and, you know, put put some effort into my first games, and you know, I was I was arrogant, right? And I had no reason to be arrogant. All I'd done, like I said, was one one crappy powerlifting meet and t-shirt muscles. But I uh, I came into it fully expecting to win my first Highland Games and just mm. just just drub everyone, and uh, that that was not the case. <laughs> <laughs> I got my ass handed to me. Mike was throwing A, I was throwing, uh, I, I guess it was a, a novice or a C class, whatever they had, the, the lowest. And 
Um, got my brains beat in, but I got the bug like I think a lot of Highland Games athletes do after that first game. It, it almost turns into like uh, like an obsession, right? You, you just want to you want to keep throwing. You want to keep going after way for distance. You, you know, hammers. You just go kind of bananas. So I, you know, that was I guess that was about nine years ago. Really got bit by the Highland Games bug and and just you know been been training my butt off and been varying levels of suck or decent you know, over the past eight or nine years. That's uh, and so currently now throwing is a is professional. This is my third season, which will start hopefully uh, April eighteenth. So what, six years from first games to pro? Uh, yeah, that's, roughly. That's right. Yeah, not bad, not bad. And not no, it's interesting you. Because now we're seeing so many, uh, so many of the top level guys come from a throwing background. So it's interesting that you don't. When I started, you were just starting to see a few people from the throwing background. When I got into Highland Games, now over the recent years, it's exploded. To uh, it's like what they can do after college. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and we're seeing a lot of amazing throwers now. But uh, yeah, yeah I remember. So I was going to say Spencer and, and Dan, Mike, and I were talking about this uh, last weekend. I mean, you, you really are, and you know, it's kind of few. You know, throwers like me are few and far between. Where yeah. I don't have ten years of of track and field background, yeah. where you know, you learn how to turn your right, you learn how to use your hips and and apply force. So, um, you know, a lot of these guys and, and gals who are coming out of really good track programs, they they do have a leg up. And I think, you know, due to podcasts like this and podcasts like Mike and what um, Matt Vincent did. You know, six, seven, eight years ago, just making it accessible through through online, through YouTube, through social media, it, it, the sport was exposed to this next, like you said, this next group of uh, college athletes looking for the next thing once they're done. And and there's, you know, particularly after seeing some of the <clears throat> the open amateur class at the Arnold, there are some monsters Come on their way. Yeah, they are. They're they're coming. Um, let's explain to people that don't know that are listening. What is the steps it takes to go from like the go, go pro, you know, how does, how does one do that? <laughs> so, it, it really depends which way I want to go, right? If I want to just be an asshole and say that, you know, the, the bottom line is there really is none, you know, there's no, there's no technical governing organization that covers the entirety of, you know, the sport. So if, if you want to say I'm a pro, you can say you're a pro. So mm-hmm. the thing about it, though, is you have to get invites, right? Yeah. That's where that's where it vets out and weeds out people who yeah. um, are, are going to survive in it. So, you know, outside of just saying, oh, I'm a pro and, and hoping for an invite, um, it, it depends on your background, right? So for me, I had to spend those six years, you know, grinding out reps, you know, in a field by myself, making sure that I was uh, going to as many games as, as possible. And so I was. I was 32 years old, 31 years old when I got into the sport, so I was, you know, late to it. Uh, but at the time, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have a kid, so I, I had a lot more free time. Mm-hmm. But you know, you, you have to put in, you have to put in your groundwork. So if you're, so say you follow my path, right, where you don't have a following background, you've, you've got to spend a lot of time getting the basics down. You need a lot of competition reps, and obviously, you need to keep, um, keep increasing your distances, your heights. And, and while you're doing that, I guess the best advice I can give is make sure you're building these relationships early on. Um, you know, this is a very communal sport. It's very, um, it's, it's, you know, very necessary that you interact with 
judges, with the audience, with the crowd, with athletic directors, you know, and, and if you spend your first five, six years like I did, you know, getting better, developing your skill, throwing further and, and, and building relationships with athletic directors that can control these invites where, if and when you do want to turn pro, it, it's a lot easier when that day comes instead of, you know, kind of being in the background, even though you're a good thrower, but if you're not interacting with people mm-hmm. and you're not proving that either you're an entertainer or you play nicely with, with these festivals, with the athletic directors, you're going to be behind the eight ball when it comes yeah. to, to getting these invites. And that's one of the things that I try to explain to people. It's, it's yeah, a big part of it is that you have the ability to do it. Uh, right. But another part is, uh, honestly, being a showman. Because what girls trouts? People that are exciting. You know, I mean, I right. could go out there and suck compared to Spencer, which everybody does. But if I put on a hell of a show, people are going to like me. Um, if I yell and scream and have a big beard and this and that. And then, and then, like you said, the relationship with athletic directors and things like that. Uh, no, it's an interesting deal. Let's, since we're primarily a lifting podcast, what, sure. what part does um, the gym play into your pre- preparedness? Uh, so during a, a, a good season, right, in a good off season, it, it should play a, a pretty big part of it. And, uh, you know, my first couple of seasons I was writing, and I yeah, air quote, I'm, I was creating my own programming. And, you know, unfortunately, it probably mirrored those, those T-shirt muscle workouts more than they should have. But as I became, got more and more uh, comfortable with sport, I realized the importance of, you know, using your hips, uh, Olympic lifts. Um, explosive movements, jumping, bounding, stuff like that. You know, where if you fast forward to where I'm at the past two years, I actually have uh, Tom Soroka does my uh, my programming for me. And, you know, primarily with his Highland Games athletes, he's following a uh, conjugate method. And um, and I love it. And honestly, it's, it's one of uh, – it's really good for me to be able to outsource that confidence. It's kind of what I call it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of people – there's – majority of people in the strength sports and, and lifting industry know way more about um, preparing and training than I do. So I, I'm fine with, I'm mature enough, you know, being 38 now to outsource that confidence to someone else, someone who I respect like Tom, let him write up my programming and then do my part, you know, show up every day, get it done, do the lifting and, and do it as close to how it's written as possible. So he's getting a good, he's getting good feedback and a good indication on how it's working. But yeah, lifting, lifting is, uh, so right now, you know, as I'm kind of what I'm uh, a little under 40 days out from my first games in Charlotte and, you know, as long as it uh, continues to happen, but so I'm, you know, roughly just under 40 days out, I'm shifting from, uh, I've been doing five days of lifting. I've shifted down to four and two days of throwing, um, and, and hopefully rolling in feeling strong and, and really good this season yeah. too. Let's talk about Throw Bros now. So what, what brought it about? Tell us what it is. Uh, throw Bros. So primarily we exist uh, We exist in a warehouse in Topeka, and then we exist in, you know, online with social media and um, uh, online, throwbros.com. So Mike and I started this company a couple of years ago when, when we started getting more um, involved in the Highland games and we wanted to do a little bit more than throw we noticed there was just there was an absence of uh, availability for just stuff you know for the stuff you need to compete um the simple things like tape and chalk you can you can get that generally anywhere right but 
Um, you know, one of our, our best-selling item is, is tacky that you can use for just about any, uh, uh, any event throughout the Highland Games. And, you know, when I was trying to track down tacky and, and move on from 3M spray, like kind of everyone, uh, I think everyone starts with, you know, finding a consistent source of tacky was just, it was, it was silly. You know, you had to meet someone at a games or you had someone who, you know, wasn't acclimated with the internet. So there, you can't communicate through messaging. You have to call, leave voicemails or, you know, write them a, a letter, <laughs> so, mm. something, something silly. So it, it kind of sprung from that, like, Hey, well, you know, we're either Mike and I are interested in making uh money off this and i think anyone who really wants to make money off the highland game needs to take a, a deep deep look inside and <laughs> and realize it, it, it probably isn't going to happen but it, it it grew from that desire to just be able to provide people with what they need to compete and train and we started with tacky i, I built or i you know um, made our first batch in my backyard and and i think i was making it for first year or so before we obviously outsourced it and um you know, same recipe now. It's a lot easier to have, you know, you all make a, a big old batch than me trying to find time to, to make it. But we were a house out there. Um, we have, we've had three different variations of implements that have done extremely well for us. And, and the hardest part about maintaining implements, uh, in stock 365 is just lead. You know, mm. people, people have a very difficult time sourcing lead uh, on a consistent basis because they're, they're generally sourcing scrap lead because it's a significantly cheaper, but, um, Mike and I think we actually have a guy out of Arizona that we're, we're kind of in talks with right now that does fabrication for a living. He has a big city and has a lot of access to, uh, like new and, and used, uh, lead parts. So again, we, we kind of just started it through that. We sponsor uh, a pretty diverse group of athletes, you know, uh, pros, amateurs, men, women, adaptive athletes, kind of from, from all demographic and, and, each athlete we pick, you know, we I'll talk out of both sides of my mouth, right? We don't pick the best athletes, but it kind of turns out that a lot, a lot of people on our roster are the best athletes. So, you know, like Spencer's a, a Throw Bros sponsored athlete. But, you know, we really kind of look more um, about their contribution to the sport, how they present themselves, how they interact. Um, you know, Dan – so Dan Tennyson is also – he recently just announced his retirement, but he's – we'll keep sponsoring him. <laughs> but um, – you know, so when we talk about these personalities we want and we look at through these um, these athletes we sponsor, Dan's the perfect example. And a story I always tell is when I was first getting into the games, uh, I was texting quite a bit with Dan and we'd actually never met. But um, he was always very receptive to my messages or looking at videos and stuff like that. And he, he had no obligation to do that. Right. He was just he was a great guy and and was doing it. So um, I remember I was having just issue with caber. I was having to ditch so many cabers. But the, the pick just wasn't making sense anymore. So I shot him a message at like nine at night one night and said, Hey bud, I, I just, I'm having so I'm having these issues with my caber pick. Can you help me out? So just whenever you get a chance and I didn't hear anything for about 10 minutes and I just figured, you know, he's, he's got family, he's probably doing stuff. So, uh, so 10 minutes later I get a video that came through messenger. It's Dan like in his night shorts and like his, his gym shorts. You can tell he's ready to go to bed. He's in flip flops. It's dark outside, but he's got this practice caber out. He's got his tripod set up so that like the, the quality of the video was horrible, right? But and he's just going through there and he's going through the process of, of how to pick and hey, here's what I'm seeing on your videos. So like that connection he, again, he had no obligation to even respond back to me, but he took his time to create a video, address what I was asking, send it to me, follow up with questions. So that attitude is really 
you know, we want it to permeate all the athletes mm-hmm. that, that we sponsor. And that's just kind of what, what Thrill Bros does, right? We want to get people information. We want to get them the gear and the, the tacky and, and the elements they need to go out and compete in the Highland Games. Yeah, that's such a niche that nobody else was covering that 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 sport. Because, um, right. I mean, even powerlifting. Like, powerlifting and weightlifting is a niche sport. Right. But but you'll never see uh, – like, like Highland Games is much more niche. <laughs> I mean, there's not right. 10,000 throwers. So, yeah, um, and we're yeah, we're we're like a, a a branch of the whole strongman powerlifting. It's already yeah. a branch of weightlifting and strength sports. So yeah, we're it's and so again, that's that's kind of the joke I was making about you know don't go into this expecting to yeah. to make money. And, and really, Mike and I, our, our goal is just you know any any dollar we make, we just put right back into additional inventory, sponsoring athletes or sponsoring. Um, you know, larger games or games or festivals or athletic directors that really share that same kind of mentality of, of just being good stewards of the sport and being good people. Before we go to break, everybody, that's Throw Bros, T-H-R-O-W-B-R-O-S.com if you need any Highland game stuff. So we're going to go to break and then we're going to start talking about games in general, how this year's Highland Games at the Arnold was, the differences and things like that. So. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text the uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, 
But if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Talk to Aaron some more about stuff. Lonnie has a question for him. Yeah, I just, I was just curious when you were talking about t-shirt muscles and chest and arms all day, every day. What was, what was your impetus, or what do you think makes people make that jump? Because a lot of people don't, right? They just keep spinning their wheels, curls for the girls, kinds of things, and, um, and you know, you got into this very niche kind of uh, athletic sport. You know, uh, what do you think drives people that way? How, how did it go for you? I think it's like, like anything else in life, right? It, if you're doing it, it needs to serve um, a purpose or it needs to serve what you're currently interested in, right? And, and in my 20s when I was doing, you know, chest on Monday and then finding a reason to do chest again on Tuesday and then doing some arms and doing all that, I mean, it served the purpose that I need, which was vanity and like narcissism. Right? So <laughs> like it just, I wanted to look good. I wanted, you know, we went to the lake a lot. So I wanted, you know, nobody gave a shit about my legs. No one's looking at my legs in these board shorts. And so I didn't, you know, what did it matter? I don't, I didn't care. So that's, again, I wasn't doing legs. So it was serving a purpose, right. Of attention and, and wanting to look good and, and, and present myself like uh, I was an athlete, even though, you know, I, I may have looked the part or what people think the part should look like, but I wasn't. Um, and then uh, again, so throwing in my first Highland games and, and kind of that first season, it, it really was a big eye opener that the way I was training or, or the way that not even trained, the way that I was working out, you know, going to the gym no longer served the purpose that I was redirecting to. Right. Because it, and you know, and when I got into the Honda games, I had already, um, I wasn't married yet, but I'd met my wife. So, you know, I could already let myself go. I could get my gut, my hair fell out. You know, it's, <laughs> I didn't have to worry about, you know, having a, a puffy chest and, and popping drives, but, um, <laughs> it, it just, so it, the, that type of training just didn't serve a purpose anymore. And one of the great things about the Highland games though, is it did expose me to, um, a lot of different. Um, you know, principles, techniques, you know, theories, beliefs about how to train and specifically how to train for this type of um, explosive athleticism. And, you know, just kind of started connecting the dots like, well, you know, me doing chest three days a week is not translating to anything. You know, it's not it's not helping my uh, open stone. It's not helping. It's not doing anything. And so asking throwers who who, you know, either had a track and field background or had a strength sport background, they really kind of opened my eyes up to like, Hey, here's, here's a good place to start. And, you know, one, here's why you need to be squatting, you know, a lot. Uh, and, and kind of started my love affair with that and, and squats and deadlifts. And, uh, and again, and then it moved to kind of progress into that, uh, the Olympic lifting aspect that, that really is so effective for throwers and just getting, generating that power, you know, from the ground to your hips and translating through the implement. But 
So, so again, my overarching theme was that in, in my 20s, T-shirt lifts served a purpose. And then when, I, I, when Highland Games became my, my primary uh, physical focus, that type of lifting no longer served that purpose. So, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the, in the world, but I'm, I don't think I'm certainly the dumbest either. So I understood that I needed to change the way I trained and listen to those that were in the sport and exceeding in the sport and helping others exceed and uh, excel in the sport and, and adjust how I was training. So that, that's kind of how, again, and so going to how, um, you know, I, I know I've used the term twice already, but I outsourced that confidence right now being in the sport for eight years now, I know a lot more about uh, different technical training, about Olympic lifting, about again, the conjugate, every, all, all sorts of stuff. And, but there's still people who do it for a living and understand it a lot better than I do. So I outsourced that to Tom. He's put together just a, a great program. And, and, and truthfully, he has me stronger uh, right now than I've been my entire life. And I'm 30 pounds, uh, I'm 30 pounds lighter than I was the last time I had like a big lift PR, like a squat PR. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm lighter. I'm, I'm a lot lighter and faster. And that's, that's really thanks to his programming. It sounds like a lot to me. It was a maturing process, right? You just, you grew. It's like this growth mindset. You just grow into this whole world of complexity because you, you sort of just kind of grow up a little bit. I'm not saying that people who just do upper body lifts and they just do bodybuilding esque kinds of things. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but it seems to me like you almost got bored. You know, you're a smart guy and you want to grow into this whole complex world that's opening up to you. And you're like, you know, there's more out there when it comes to uh, resistance sports, you know. Yeah, I, I think you – so using the term maturity, I think you nailed it right there that – and, and maybe in my 20s, you know, had I found the sport, I, I, maybe I wouldn't have been mature enough to accept the fact, well, I, I got to change some things and I have to lift different. And, you know, that even comes with how you line up your actual throwing practices because when, when I was new to the sport and when a lot of people are new to the sport – they're doing, I call it the uh, the Labrador style, where they just throw, retrieve, throw, retrieve, throw, mm-hmm. retrieve. And they to a point, you have to have uh, a certain amount of that because you have to become acclimated with the movements and the feel. And, and just the more reps you have, the you know the closer you are to actually hitting a throw that technically should be good. But once you've hit a certain threshold and you understand um, – you know, how the body's working, how the implements are moving, then you have to adapt to your training and your throwing that way as well. Because, you know, especially throwing at an athlete that's 38 years old now, I can't go out and just throw, retrieve, throw, retrieve for an hour and do anything the next week. I mean, <laughs> kick, yeah. kick my ass. So I had to mature my throwing training as well and start focusing on, uh, you know, underweight implements and drill, uh, particularly drill work that, mm-hmm. um, breaks down the throw allows you to work a certain part without taxing your your body or your cns as, as much as you can by doing just a full out competition speed throw and you know i'll give another shout out to mike who um he he's done a lot of my practice uh, uh programming over the past couple of years to kind of help keep me away from myself right again just writing something that he knows will work it'll point me towards progress and it keeps me from just just throwing, uh, you know, full speed as hard as I can every practice. Well, part of that maturity too, I think is, is what you touched on allowing someone else to program for you. There's right. a, there's a maturity level and it's almost needed. I mean, that's what I do for a living. I, I coach people, but 
at some point as an athlete, you just got to think like an athlete. It's just shut up and do it. And it's easier if somebody's telling you what to do. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, uh, I do the and, same thing. It's like, okay, I don't have to think now. I just do what he says. Right. You know, and, and that's and most I, of the best athletes are that way. We are. And it, and it, but it takes, <sighs> it takes growth to get to that mindset. And it takes growth and it takes confidence. And you have to have confidence in those you're – you're allowing to kind of grab the wheel when it comes to your training and, and lifting and everything like that. So it, it takes a while to get, and I necessarily like until, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I didn't have the best confidence to, to let someone else just handle it. Now it, it really is the best thing you can do as an athlete. And it, I think that's why it's important to be smart about who you select, right? It's not, you can't go out and buy the cheapest guy out there, you know, that you see online because who knows what the hell you're getting. You know, you're, if you really want, good programming you need, you're going to have to pay for it and and you're going to have to be uh communicative with whomever's training you and make sure that they understand your goals and expectations and your feedback and you understand you know why they're doing some of the things they're programming or asking you to do but to your point again sometimes you just need to shut up and do what they say mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and understand they'll get you through the other side and, and yeah. they have your best interest uh in mind yeah um, let's talk about the Arnold this year. So I know Thor Bros was a big part of the Highland Games at the Arnold, um, as they are every year. Well, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're part of something for sure. And uh, let's talk about the differences first. You know what? We all know that it was canceled pretty much. So I mean, what did the scene look like for the athletes? I mean, that's one of the things I was I was wondering the whole time. It's like, especially with the the Highland Games and the the strongman. I mean, it's it's. Part of the fun for an athlete and part of what drives me is the crowd. Right. Uh, You want to do better because you're in front of uh, hundreds of people. So now this year they had tens of people and they were all other throwers. So (laughs) it's all all people Um, you've seen and interacted with quite a bit. It's like, oh, you got this, bro. So, I mean, how, how did it play off this year? I mean, successful, not successful. So I, you know, I will, I'll, I'll stamp it at least for throw bros. I'm definitely going to stamp it as successful. Um, it, it certainly was different. And two years ago, I competed uh, in the open, open AM class. It's two, yeah. So I guess it'd be three years ago now. I competed my uh, last AM season in, in the open A. Um, so I got to kind of feel and experience what a full blown Arnold was, and, and throw bros was sponsoring it at that time. And it, it certainly was a different feel. There was a lot more eyes. Uh, on the games and particularly on our brand. But, you know, this year, I mean, it was, it was unique with, um, yeah, I think we all kind of found out either from social media or from, um, I guess it was the mayor, the governor that came on and said, Hey, we're, we're going to be canceling spectators for, uh, the expo or, uh, for the, the competitions. It's only going to be athletes, judges and, and, uh, personnel that, that deem necessary. So, you know that Mike and I were pretty uh, upset with that, just through a brand standpoint, because mm-hmm. it really was lining up to be one of the the best years for us as a brand. Because where they had moved the the pro competition, they did that different this year with the team challenge. But they had it from the map I had pre- previously seen was right smack in the middle of everything. Mm. Meaning, meaning we were going to have a lot more eyes on the games, a lot more eyes on uh, the brand, and then the big point of uh differentiation that we we're doing this year was mike and i were going to be emceeing uh tag teaming mm-hmm. you know the the microphones and announcing this pro team challenge so not only would we have the eyes on our brand the sport the athletes and the best of the best but we would have 
you know, Mike and I drop in throw bros and <laughs> plugs yeah, every, every, every 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> break for, you know, commercial, but yeah. so that opportunity was missed. Um, Mike was, and, and then there's a lot of back and forth, right? So I think the Arnold people who are, um, running or coordinating the, the Arnold came back and said, well, no, we're going to allow spectators in. The expo is going to be canceled, but we're going to let spectators in. So there's a lot of back and forth information. And I know, um, there's a lot of people who are trying to get out is, is like the best information that they could. And it's just kind of things that like, right. Like we're watching, you know, a week after with everything that's going on with the coronavirus, and yeah. you kind of had to pick and choose which information you thought was correct and not correct. And, you know, it, at one point, Mike and I had canceled our Airbnb. I had canceled my flight. And then that's when they came back and said, well, no, it's going to be on. It's going to be on for a spectator. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm short in that, but so we, I, and one day I canceled everything and then had to rebook, rebook flights and get everything else. And luckily it only ended up costing us like, like six more bucks to get everything done. And, and we actually got a, a much better, uh, Airbnb, but we, we made the decision that we, as a, as a company that we're going to shift our focus from, um, all right, well, who was there and we're going to connect our brand to them in, in the flesh and blood to, all right, well, this now has to be a complete social media focus and it has to be uh, a lot of really high quality video that we can capture day of and then deal and post and then just start uh, releasing those videos over the next, we already had, we've released a couple of videos already, but we'll continue to release some of these um, pro and adaptive class and women's class uh, athlete videos that we shot with a, a really good gimbal and got some sharp high definition footage. So we'll be using that. So we shifted our focus. I'm really glad we went. Uh, I had a great time obviously interacting with all those, those throwers that I usually see throughout the course of the year. And you know, the, the Highland Games community is, is close-knit, as I'm sure, you know, strongman and powerlifting and, and, you know, every other competition that was there. So, you know, you kind of commiserate with, with each other and, and you kind of laugh. And I think everyone made the joke where it's, you know, it's not unlike any other Highland Games where we don't have any damn <laughs> spectators and people, you know, watching us. So yeah. we, we felt right at home, but... Uh, you know, what's going to happen next year? I don't, um, yeah. you know, I don't know. And I feel bad for those smaller to mid-level retailers uh, mm. and vendors that, that purchase booze. They built up a lot of inventory. They purchased, you know, talent. They flew out staff. They had Airbnbs. That, and generally, when you're a smaller company, you you don't have the the war chest, so to speak, to survive yeah. something like that. You just you kind of liquidate what you can and then you just don't exist. And, yeah. and that's really unfortunate because that, that, um, yeah, it's just bad. It's bad for the industry. No, one thing interesting about the Highland games is like the Arnold's not a unique event for the Highland games because generally most Highland games are wrapped around festivals. I mean, Arnold's a big deal because you'll get more people in one spot. But I mean, one of the, one of the success markers of Highland games is the festivals it's, it's, it's based around. And that's also good for the athletes. I mean, right? Because yeah. uh, you go to a powerlifting meet, and yeah, there's people there, but it's like a hundred friends and family. Whereas right. with with Highland Games, you get the bigger ones. Like I lived out east for a while, towards towards where you are. And the bigger ones, I mean, it's it's large with the clans there, with this and that, and I mean, you are of the strength sports at an amateur level, you're treated more like a professional because, like, okay, guys, you're here to do your job. See all those people entertain them you know, uh, while you're yeah, having fun. Exactly. Um, so, 
I mean, the, the good thing is, is what I'm getting as you guys have more cases, at least some of these people, they, they hinge on the Arnold. Everything for that, that sport is hinged around the Arnold every year. That's their one, one time to get out there. Right. Highland Games, you guys have more. So that's good. As long as they go on. At this point, we don't know what the hell's going to happen. But like your game's and, coming up. And that's, you know, we looked at it through that too. We, again, so one of the reasons we, outside of selfishness, and it's the best, <laughs> it's the most eyes, right? So it, it's mm-hmm. it's a good spend on us as far as trying to get some ROI. But again, one of the reasons we, we like being a partner with uh, the Arnold and those particular Highland Games is it is also good for other people in the strength community to see that you know at the top level and and at any level throughout it but particularly at the top level the best of the best those are some damn good athletes like when you see you know spencer throwing a you know a 28 pound sheaf close to 30 feet in the air i mean it's it's impressive when you see and i think honestly more on the the distance events like um they threw heavyweight and stone so when you watch you know adrian uh who's just a, a phenomenal shot putter when you watch her you know, get up there and take those three throws and just how technically clean uh, she is and how strong and, and fast and, well, you know, how good she throws. That's great for the sport because it there's always going to be that element of it is entertainment. And honestly, that's that's yeah. a big part of it. But there's also the element of it's entertainment with athletics. And, you know, the people have made the comparison about, um, you know, it being like WWE. I guess WWE and I was going to say WWF, but uh, WWE and, and, and stuff like that. And I don't think it's certainly not as, as kitschy or, you know, clownish as that by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a entertainment is a big factor. And it's, those are skill sets that some of the best athletes have to have. You have to be able to throw far and you have to do that. So that's why we like the Arnold because it showcases the best of the best. They're generally the best throwers and they're some of the best entertainers out there. And, mm-hmm. For the future of the sport, for that opportunity to be cut this year, it's it's not going to – like to your point, we have lots of festivals that can carry the load and the burden. But when we're talking about getting to these higher-level athletes, to getting people who may do crossover from strongman and powerlifting or you know, jujitsu or whatever else, we, we missed out on that opportunity mm-hmm. because of the lack of spectators and, and fans of those sports and the overall health and the longevity of the sport. This, this was not good for it. You know, it, it may, it's not going to sink it this year, but it's yeah. not going to help us continue to grow in the future. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the differences in, in a Highland Games, a regular Highland Games versus one versus the Arnold. So this, even some of the implements are different for yeah. people that are going to watch your videos. What's the difference there with an indoor games it, like this? It, you know, the good thing is, is because uh, I'm a sponsor and I highly doubt I will ever be invited as a pro to the Arnold. <laughs> I can speak a little more candid about the actual throwing, right? I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of um, the the implements just because it's it's like an expo, right? You're throwing what well, you're throwing four or five events. They're heavier. You're throwing heavyweight. You're throwing a 28 pound sheaf, at least for the men's bro class. I'm not a huge fan of that just because it. it I mean, it it can wreck your back, right? But um, it is an expo, so it's certainly it's it's a lot different than any other games you're going to run into. You're throwing off a platform, you're throwing on you know horse mats and, and concrete. So as far as preparing for it, you know, two two three years ago when I threw in it, there really wasn't there wasn't much difference that I changed, right? Because I didn't want to you know kind of adjust that extremely valuable off season training time to focus on an exposition or, you know, an, an expo as opposed to just practicing for, you know, all nine events and 
scenarios that I'd find, you know, more often than not throughout the course of the season. But um, again, that being said, the people who are are watching it for the first time, they don't know that it's an expo. They don't know that those you know, are implements we we rarely use. They don't understand that we generally throw a stone as opposed to a shot and everything mm-hmm. else. So again, all that matters at that point is that they are they're big, they're fast, they're athletic, and they're entertaining. Yeah. Gotcha. No, and I mean, you guys probably, I mean, there's probably a lot of, at, uh, at something like the Arnold, which we all know the average person that walks around there, one would hope it was an athlete, but in all honesty, it's it's a bunch of dude bros walking around with it, <laughs> ILS. But I mean, honestly, we're coming from your background, you know, you admitted that you were in the, you know, pump the chest and tries. You might capture five or six of those and move them to the sport. I mean, oh, at yeah. a venue like this. So yeah, you don't have to pull your punch. I mean, I one hundred percent would have been that that douchebag <laughs> walking through, <laughs> you know, with p- puffing up lats yeah. I didn't have. And, but you know, that's that's a great point. Had I been exposed to the sport in, in my twenties and when I was in a different part of my you know athletic development, yeah. right? It, it could have introduced me to the sport younger, and it could have got. Um, and, and it's just kind of that that spread effect, right? Particularly with the Highland Games, because once. I mentioned earlier, once you get bit by that bug, it really does become almost obsessive and you're, you're training, you're thinking about training, you're doing, you know, footwork at, at your office or at work. And then you're talking to your friends about it, like ad nauseum, just constantly talking about throws or sending videos. So I think once, once the more people we can get to get bitten by that bug, it it spreads a lot further than just them. Their, their radius of, of people they can get excited about it uh, definitely increases. All right. Uh, anything else, guys? Lonnie? No, no, that's good. I I wasn't really um, educated on how things went down differently at the Arnold and with the indoor thing, and how that's not necessarily representative of what Highland Games usually look like. You know, stuff yeah. like that. Right. So, yeah, that was cool. What's coming hey, down the pipes for Throw Bros? Anything uh, new and exciting? Yeah, I was gonna say implements being the big thing. Hopefully, we're we're a couple weeks away from getting that squared away and having. Um, weights, hammers, uh, available year round, men's, women's, all different variations. So that's, that's the biggest hurdle. And again, we're, we're pretty close with this, uh, this gentleman out of Arizona to getting it signed. Um, we'll more than likely do another piece of apparel going into the summer. We, we tend not to focus too much on apparel because there's, there's so many people that do that well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And they, they do it better than, than we do. We, we like to make some stuff that's just kind of fun and really, speaks directly to um you know the the highland games athletes and not much outside of that but we'll we'll do some of that um clinics we so we do it's funny you call it the free clinic come get tested but (laughs) we do uh mike and i did a a clinic at uh what was that in virginia at the green hill games last year and we got a lot of good feedback we had over 30 athletes and we we have a really unique approach to how we, we like to do this, right? Instead of just getting a, a whole bunch of people on the field and trying to herd cats and just throw the whole time, we actually sat down for the first hour and went over like a, a brief introduction to the games, the events, um, how to set up, uh, how to you know how to set up your training. So so essentially, we could kind of maybe abbreviate that time that it takes people to learn. Well, I need to be training different, or I need to be eating different. Mm-hmm be resting different so it really the, the first hour was was more uh, coursework or schoolwork than anything else and then we we broke off and we did um we taught uh, a specific drill for each 
event. So instead of just going through the, the whole throw, which can be a nightmare when you have 30 people, mm-hmm. we taught them a drill that was a lot. They can take that and they can apply that immediately back to their practice. So we got great feedback about our uh, clinic. So we're going to try and do another couple this year as well. Um, and then just Mike and I, he's, uh, he's, he's back. He's got the competition bug, mm-hmm. uh, the Arnold and, He's he's pretty pissed about how he finished. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was good, wondering about that. I think he uh, I think he finished fifth, um, yeah. and that's that's definitely not where he wanted to be. And I think you know, admittedly, he knew he hadn't he'd been training pretty consistently leading up to it. But when you're throwing at a high level, particularly like you need to at the Arnold, uh, a, a month of focus isn't going to get you there. You know, you're you need 12 months of consistent focus to be back back at that high level, but. Um, he'll obviously be, you know, hopefully the games we will have this season, but he'll be at them. Uh, and he always, we're always ambassadors of our brand out at these, these events, these festivals and competitions. So he'll be doing that. I'll be doing that. And hopefully he and I can, can meet up a couple times this year in a throw bros capacity and just, uh, just keep growing the brand in the sport. Well, and I know you guys announced a few new sponsorships. What is it? I think Felicia and Jarvina maybe, and. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did Felicia maybe a, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, she was our first female athlete. We did uh, Matt Hall, who's adaptive class. Um, he's para standing adaptive, uh, double amputee. And whether I mean, you guys got to check his videos out. He is um, such a good steward and proponent of, of broken caber and his adaptive athlete uh, class. He was he did uh, an expo throw with a couple other athletes at the Arnold. And it's just like, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up even mm. talking about it. Just, you know, these, these guys and gals are just, they're tough. They're awesome. Yeah. So, uh, Matt's one of our athletes. And then, uh, Jervina, um, we just sponsored, she's our, our, our latest addition to the team. Um, and kind of going back to a story that I told about Dan with, you know, him sending the caber video when he didn't need to, uh, I had seen Jervina, make a post at a game where she was talking to some of the, um, the little girls and the young women in the crowd who were interested in seeing her throw and like, Whoa, you know, girls can do this. Mm-hmm. And she, she took the time out of her day to go um, have a conversation with them and introduce them to the games and let them mess around with some of the implements. So, you know, I, I, I kind of figured at that point, at some point we're going to get her on our team because that's just, yeah. You know that's that's great for our brand, but that's great for the sport, and that's just that's just a good thing to be out there doing. Right. Yeah. And then we have those turds, Spencer and Dan. So. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, a shameless plug here: if anybody wants to meet all these people, Jarvina, Felicia, Aaron, Mike, Dan, Spencer, they're all going to be in town here. So June thirteenth, as long as we don't get canceled. The only reason we will get canceled at the Windler Strength Fest is if mandatorily, you know, we're not going to make that call. The right. only reason we would is if the, the city shuts us down, but right. we're hidden here in Topeka, so I don't see it happening. So, right. um, but yeah, they'll all be there. I'm sure Throw Bros will have a, a, a big a big part in that. So, we definitely um, will. That's right. Other than that, brother, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, appreciate the time. All. Yeah, I mean, everybody. I'm on it now, so I'm definitely going to have to listen to it. That's yeah. That's there how you go. And how I work. So. Spread it around, everybody. Go check out <laughs> throwbros.com. Uh, Check out what Mike and Aaron are doing. So it's good stuff. Nice. All right. All right, guys. See you later. All right, guys. Yep. Have a good one.
Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.